Let us now pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing of the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you instruct us by your holy scriptures. We urge you by your grace to enlighten our minds and cleanse our hearts, that reading, hearing, and meditating upon your word, we might rightly understand and heartily embrace the things you have revealed in them. Let your word work so that the reading of your gospel, that through the operation of the Spirit, this holy seed received into our hearts as into good ground, that we may not only hear your word, but keep it, living into conformity with all your precepts, relying on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So I'm here today going to again teach on our gospel reading, but begin just a little bit earlier in verse 21. So we will be reading God's word from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And, Mary, and Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and, Mary, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts May be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Coming in, in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Thus ends the reading of God's word. This time of year, among, even among the unbelieving peoples, much of the world takes pause from their normal activities to celebrate Christmas. Some in the church reject the celebration of Christmas because of the co-opting materialism. Others, because they inaccurately think that the date of Christmas Christmas activities 
and that the symbols of Christmas originated with the pagans. We often hear the mantra from both pagans and believers, we must find the real meaning of Christmas. In our current day, this real meaning of Christmas has come to mean that, through, that people through their own strength come to peace with one another. Christmas specials, sitcoms, even news outlets push the elusive real meaning of Christmas. Peace in our hearts by our own making. But Christmas is not peace by temporary means of men but men haven't been reconciled to God by the coming of the Son of God in flesh as a baby. Jesus lived a life in a real human body so that he might die in the flesh and be cut off from life, so that he would be resurrected and enthroned at the right hand of God. Because Jesus came, we enjoy true peace and inward tranquility in our own minds. God called us out of our sin. By the Spirit, we now know that we were born children of wrath. God gives us that understanding. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 3, tells us this. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. As the angels announced, to the shepherds, and the Spirit has now revealed to us, God is pleased to bestow His undeserved favor upon man. Our passage today instructs us in how we should accept with our mind and believe in our hearts the promises of God. And of course, this precludes that we search out the promises and then meditate on them. Then we believe with our hearts, which is to say that we will take action in all areas of our lives because of God's faithful, true, and secure promises. We see at the time of the act of the covenant, that is circumcision, that Joseph and Mary are obedient to God. Luke chapter 2 verse 21 tells us, that when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Remember that the eighth day is the first day of the new creation. It's the day also of what? The resurrection. Jesus' name was not given by the will of man, but by God. For that name was delivered by the angel Gabriel. We see this in Luke 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Mary and Joseph had to be obedient. They heard what God's word was 
And they obeyed. So when the time came for his name to be given, right at the sign and sealing of the covenant, they obeyed. Think about this. When we give our children to the Lord and we baptize them, that sign and that seal, we're giving them their name. I know you've already named your child, but we are acknowledging that name before God and they are getting the name of God placed on them. As you know, Jesus is merely Joshua in Greek. Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is that new Joshua and will bring God's people salvation by defeating our enemies and setting us free from the bondage of sin. Here, Jesus' obedient parents bring their son to be given the sign and seal of God's covenant people. Circumcision conferred a degree of holiness. We see this in Exodus 19 and in Exodus 29. This meant that the circumcised were granted nearness to God and access to His sanctuary. Circumcision granted the right and the requirement to eat the Passover. We see this in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus' foreskin is cut off. This cutting of the flesh is representative of the cutting off of sinful nature and being set aside for a priestly purpose. This act provides us with an understanding of Christ coming in the flesh to be cut off so that we may enter God's presence. By the circumcision of Christ's flesh on the cross, Jesus was cut off and forsaken for our behalf. We who are in Christ, our flesh has been cut off by His death on the cross so that we may enter God's presence. Consider Galatians 4.4, 4, which says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And that is both verses 4 and 5. Jesus' circumcision demonstrated his submission to the law. Jesus, in his circumcision, is named Yahweh saves. And it is at the same time foretelling that he, he is, excuse me, <clears throat> when he is named Yahweh saves, it shows that he submits himself to the ceremonial law of God in his circumcision. It is at the same time foretelling of Yahweh's salvation by his flesh, that is his body, being cut off at the cross and thus making us saints, able to enter God's presence, having been reconciled to God by his death and resurrection. Our narrative in, in Luke chapter 2 continues, moving from the eighth day to the fortieth day. So sometimes, you know, we know the story, we're so familiar with it, we forget that there's some gaps in the timing here. Here Jesus is presented in obedience to the law. Do you notice how Joseph and Mary, what are they doing? They, they are obeying the word that, of God sent by the angel, and at the same time they are obeying God's word and instruction about how they should rear their children and actions that they are placing upon them says this in verse 22 of Luke 2. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as was written in the law of the Lord. 
Every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In Leviticus chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, and remember, most of Leviticus is God himself speaking to Moses, giving this instruction. If, if, if you have a red-letter Bible, they failed on you when they didn't put most of Leviticus in red. And of course, really, the whole book should be in red, right? It's all God's word. But, but I want to acknowledge this. This is God himself speaking to Moses to instruct the people. Leviticus 12, beginning in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. And she shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. Now, I want to explain something here. There's no sin in simply giving birth. This uncleanness that is being spoken of here is God using His creation to teach us that His covenant people can be cut off from sanctuary access for a variety of reasons. I would like to point out that the issues concerning uncleanness focus on what comes out of both men and women right whether it's birth blood infections leprosy this is all stuff that is coming from the inside and coming out this teaches us that the sinful nature that is within us must be dealt with repented of lest we be cut off from sanctuary access and the lord's reassuring table of peace you know the ceremonial law god was taking his his creation and teaching us about ourselves again there, there's nothing happening here that makes the woman unable to be a, a follower of god but god is taking life and his creation and instructing us and teaching us of our need for him and the sinful nature that dwells within us. So Mary and Joseph wait until Mary is ceremonial cleaned and bring Jesus to the temple to offer Jesus as the firstborn to God. We see in Exodus chapter 22 why this should be done. Beginning in verse 29, it says, The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. This ties Jesus again to the covenant law. The people of Israel were to take the firstborn and make an offering for the firstborn because God delivered his people from the bondage by the blood of the enemies. Exodus 22, or excuse me, 12 verse 29 says this, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Yahweh from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn livestock. Joseph and Mary are excellent examples for parents of all ages. Be faithful with your children by following God's word. And I know that I, if, if you've had small children and they've grown older and then they, maybe some have moved out of the house, this doesn't change. 
This doesn't change. Be faithful with your children by following God's word yourself, by speaking God's word when they ask you, or sometimes when they don't. Be faithful in the daily routines of your life with your children. You are teaching them by your actions and your words. You're training them. You're catechizing your children by habits and the forms of the way you live, even in your older age. Joseph and Mary accepted with their minds the promises of God. They believed in their hearts the promises of God, and so they took actions in their lives that matched their professed thinking. For us, this means, first of all, be in worship, unless God has, by His providence, kept you away. We must live our lives understanding that each day is not simply a routine, but actually a liturgy of action that demonstrates who we worship. Do not grow weary in the mundane, for your daily liturgy is your living sacrifice to God's glory, so that others, including your family, will also give God glory. This is to be lived out slowly, daily, weekly, and through the years. Because God is faithful. Our passage moves from the sacrifice being led by the priest to a man named Simeon. And he is just and devout. Luke 2.25 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now please listen to this. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now listen, three times Luke tells us that the Spirit was with Simeon, verses 25, verse 26, and verse 27. Simeon enters by the Spirit into the temple and there sees the fulfillment of his hopes for the consolation of Israel. In the Spirit, Simeon sees salvation. He sees also the light of the apocalypse. Simeon is a seer with an experience that anticipates the, the later revelation of the Spirit to John and Patmos. This is interesting to compare Simeon's seeing to the blindness of Eli from 1 Samuel. Remember when we talked about that? How his physical blindness was uh, symbolizing his spiritual blindness? You guys remember when we talked about that? We had several sermons just in November on that. And you see, in you know, Eli is blind, and the people of Israel are under the judgment of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, we also see that the people of Israel are blinded by unfaithfulness, and they cannot see God's truth. Jesus himself quotes the Isaiah passage regarding many in Israel, but especially in regards to the priests, scribes, and religious leaders of his day, 
as unfaithful and therefore blind. Simeon has sight by the Spirit. Even in judgment, God always preserves a remnant of faithful followers. We see this also in Paul's discussion in Romans chapter 11. In Jerusalem, and in fact all over Israel, there were many profane and irreligious. But God calls Simeon devout and just. Devotion and just, that is meaning righteous, covers both tables of the law. The first table being related to God and the second table being related to your neighbors. The proof of devotion to God is seen as Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. As one commentator puts it, no true worship exists outside of hope of salvation, which depends on faith in God's promises and particularly in the restoration found in Christ. Simeon was among the few who patiently endured present afflictions. He believed, believed that the deliverance of the church was shortly going to be found in Jesus. Simeon heard God and believed God's promises such that he went to the temple expecting to find the consolation of Israel, meaning that all Israel had waited, all that Israel had waited for would be realized and that the Gentiles would be reconciled to God. People of God don't become weary in being faithful, waiting for God to bring reconciliation to those in your family, your job, and all your neighbors. Hebrews 10.36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Simeon is going to worship God knowing that death proceeds resurrection. He offers this in his song. It's praise in the midst of the rising and falling of Israel. In verse 28, he took, it, took up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring the revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of. Let's consider Simeon's song. Simeon now could be sent away to die in peace. Simeon would die with peace and composure of mind, having obtained all that he desired. And what was that? To see the Lord's Christ, the deliverer of God's people, and what? the Gentiles as well. Simeon is at peace to die in full assurance of God's promise keeping. He states this when he says, according to thy word. Saints, we can face all that is before us, including death, because God keeps his word. Also in his song, he says that God prepared salvation publicly, by saying before the face of all peoples. The fulfillment brings the light of revelation to the Gentiles and through that glory to his people Israel. Simply in Christ are hid all the parts of salvation and happiness in life. 
All that we need is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is a real encouragement to us. I say that, perhaps I should say, this should be a real encouragement to us. Are you clinging to the promises of God? Are you taking action based off of those promises? You see, by the Spirit, we have faith to see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. This is a revelation. Right now, the Spirit gives us the ability to see Christ seated at the right hand of God. But we will, at some point, see Christ face to face, and this will become reality. This brings peace to our minds so we can face all things, including death, resting in Jesus. The song goes on and says, God has prepared. God's plan has been grace for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesians 2 reminds us, beginning in verse 16, saying that he, that's Jesus, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity, that is, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one, father, by, by one spirit to the Father. You see, God's plan has always been to reconcile all the nations. And the idea of there being a difference in peoples, at the cross this ends. At, at, at Pentecost, God brings by the Spirit the peoples together. There is unity, there is peace, but only in trusting in Christ Jesus. We learn that Joseph and Mary marveled in Simeon's song because they were growing this is important. They weren't doubting or they weren't just plain um, astonished, but rather they were growing in the revelation of their understanding of Christ, just as we all do, right? Think about this. Mary knew what the angel told her, and she understood Scripture. She knew these things. But then as God was working in Joseph and Mary's life, they're obeying, they're being faithful. And what are they doing? They're growing in their understanding. Simeon sees these humble servants in Mary and Joseph and blesses them not as a priest, but as a, a servant of God, bringing encouragement to them. Perhaps even using Psalm 118. Think about this. If he's standing there and he's speaking to them, he, he could have said this from Psalm 118, beginning in verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We can learn that we too are to bring blessings and encouragement to our fellow saints by speaking God's promises to one another. Simeon then, understanding by the Spirit the words, he says this, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, 
and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is not going to be received by his own. He will be hotly pursued unto his death. Simeon wants Mary to be fortified against all hostile attacks. Mary will watch as Jesus is not only persecuted but killed right before her. The sequence of Simeon's words that Jesus will cause fall and rising. This fall, this is important. This fall is that for many in Israel, Jesus will bring death, the fall, and resurrection, the rising. Jesus doesn't simply bring division in Israel, but the ultimate resurrection of Israel. Jesus will pass from life to death to the resurrection, taking the hopes and fears of Jerusalem, Israel, and all peoples with him. Now all of a sudden there's this little side thing that happens. Entering into the temple area comes the prophetess Anna, who's going to give thanks and then go speaking to those looking for redemption. God, as is his requirement, provides a second witness. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. The Lord in his word here points to the piety and chastity of Anna. Again, a person who lived righteously towards others in God. She served others and she prayed. What does Anna do? It says she, she comes in at that instant at just the right time and thanks the Lord. You see, we see God's ordained timing here. She was going about her normal faithful routine. What was she doing? Going about her normal faithful routine. Believing and trusting God's promises. And seeing the child, she gave thanks. Anna was living life full of gratitude. Now, I didn't talk to Horace, but if you listened to his prayer this morning, he talked about gratitude. And he gave thanks for all of these things. We have to be living our lives full of gratitude. Sometimes when I, when I speak with you and you share your struggles, if you go too far down that road, you'll find that I'll ask you, tell me something good that's happened. At the very least, and a lot of times people pause and they struggle, the one thing you should be saying is, Christ has forgiven my sins. And that he keeps his promises. It might seem long, it might seem difficult, but we need to give thanks. Throughout the past year, we need to take a, an assessment. And we've studied, we've brought up gratitude and living in gratitude and in thankfulness. I don't know how many times this word gratitude has come up in the sermon text. But we need to live our lives full of gratitude before God and men. 
If you're catechizing your children, I promise you, if they hear you airing your complaints all the time and never hear your gratitude for the grace of God, for His provision, what are you, what are you catechizing them to? The grace and mercy of God or your self-loathing woe? Let us be full of gratitude. Older folks, this applies to you too. And the preacher also. You know, Anna had experienced hardship. Now, we're not clear, was she 84 years old? Had she been a widow for 84? The way the wording is laid out, we're not real clear. But she was older, she was a widow, and what did she spend her time doing? In the temple, praying, fasting, serving others. She's doing these things. But she had experienced hardship and difficulty. What was she doing? It instructs us that we should be faithful in our daily liturgy. We should have joyful gratitude for the difficult things that God brings with his gifts. We talked about that last week with Mary, right? Mary's going to get the gift of carrying the Son of God. And with that gift was going to come the hardship of shame and difficulty and being ostracized from her family and people. There was risk. But what did she do? She said, here, is, here I am, your servant. So let me say this again. We need to have joyful gratitude for the difficult things that God brings with his gifts. We must remember his mighty acts, beginning with him opening up our eyes so that we may see and hear and know who we are in him, first as sinners, objects of wrath, and then forgiven saints, his unmerited favor that is upon us. And we do all this so that we don't lose heart. This is why we need to speak and, rem and remember what God has done. I encourage you, you older folks, write down, start writing down all the things God, that you've seen God do, and then share them with your kids. Parents, where you are now, start jotting it down. I know it's hard to imagine jotting anything down because you're so busy. But try to remember the highlights of what God has done and share that with them. Finally, after gratitude, what does Anna do? She went and spoke to all those, now this is important, who looked for redemption. God places people all around us who are looking for redemption. Some in our family, certainly our children, but our extended family, our friends, our co-workers, even occasional strangers. They come before us by God's providence. We should be looking and be quick to speak God's promises to those who are looking for redemption. Now, sometimes we don't always know until we engage in a conversation. So I encourage you, have conversations. Be available. Listen. But as Christ says, be careful about throwing your pearls before the swine. Share the truth. You're not changing people. Share God's promises. Let God, by His Spirit, open up their eyes, their hearts. And you can rest. People of God, God keeps His promises. May we all be like Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna. God speaks and we follow.
our faith, our actions, answers to his promises. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sure promises found in your word. By your mercy, strengthen us to accept with our minds and believe with our hearts all the promises found in your word. Help us in our daily lives to live out a liturgy of living sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable for your glory. We ask this for the sake of our Savior, your Son, Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.